Hey guys, I'm Paul Bates, and this is the Fermentation Podcast. Join me on this journey to put fermentation into practice, create culture, and revive this lost art that connects all of us to our cultures of the past. Today is Friday, December 5th, 2014, and this is episode number 16. So today I'm talking all about kombucha, how to make kombucha, what it is, what it tastes like, where I actually tried it, you know, for my first time of taking a sip of kombucha, and then just a ton of the general questions about it, like, you know, where can I get a kombucha scoby? Can I make one? How long do you let it brew? Many of the different flavors of kombucha that you can make. Some of the more common questions like, is there alcohol in kombucha? What to do with the mothers? And then just a, a lot of the general troubleshooting questions. So basically, I go through the whole process and then just cover as much as I could think up and, you know, as much as I could throw into the show. But before I get into that, all the topics and links for today's show will be in the show notes at fermentationpodcast.com. If you'd like to get a hold of me, email me at paul at fermentationpodcast.com or go to the website, click on the contact button on the top. You can also connect to me on Facebook, Pinterest, YouTube, and Twitter. Just go to fermentationpodcast.com. You should see the links in the sidebar. Also, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, just head out to the website, click on the guest button on the top, and there's a guest submission form that I have there for you to fill out. So to actually get into the main topic of today's show, I just want to talk about kombucha. And maybe first I'll start with, what is kombucha and what is a kombucha scoby? So kombucha is a fermented drink made from sweet tea using a, a starter culture. And it's been around for so long that we really have no idea where exactly it came from. But the speculation, at least that I found, is it originated in China and it's been here for quite a while, at least in terms of being over a 100 years old or maybe even hundreds of years old. And, you know, you never even know, maybe even a thousand or more years old. But the whole idea is it probably originated in China and it's been here. It moved on to Russia and then just kind of spread around the world from there. But in any case, it's here, it's popular, tastes great, and I'm going to tell you all about it. So when you hear about kombucha, you hear that it's actually made with a, a starter called a kombucha scoby. And a scoby stands for Symbiotic Culture of Bacteria and Yeast. And I've seen the C in scoby, S-C-O-B-Y. I've seen the C referred to as either colony, community, or culture. But in any case, there's a bunch of bacteria and there's a bunch of yeast that live together in cooperation, like in a little community. And one produces something that the other likes, and then they both kind of cooperate and then build this structure. And that's what actually makes the kombucha scoby. So the scoby is really what you need. If you want kombucha, you know, if you want to make kombucha, you have to have a scoby. Whether that's, you know, in the solid form or whether that starts as like a, a starter kind of a tea. And I'll, I'll go over both of those later. But in general, the yeast in the scoby, they eat the sugar, which then produces alcohol. Kind of like, you know, when you think of wine or beer, you know, the, the yeast actually eat the sugar and then that produces alcohol. And then the different bacteria that's in the scoby, they consume the alcohol and then turn that into acetic acid, which is why, you know, it has more of a, a vinegary smell for anybody that's actually tried kombucha. And, you know, some people really don't like that vinegary type of smell or taste, but it's almost like an acquired taste, I would say. At first, when I tried it, you know, it was like, whoa, it, it kind of hits you at first. But then the, the tangy sweet tea part of it, it's kind of addicting. Maybe the, the more you sip it and, you know, you, you kind of just keep on going for some strange reason. And, you know, some people don't like it at all. So if you're going to try some, I would suggest going out, buying a bottle, tasting it first before you want to make any. Because it'd be horrible to buy all this stuff, go through all this effort, and then you don't really like it. So back to actually what's happening. You have, you know, this sweet tea, and the tea leaves, 
actually have uh, quite a bit of nitrogen in it. And the bacteria in there actually use the nitrogen more to function, which is why you need actual tea to make sure, you know, the scoby is healthy. You can't use any kind of herbal teas or just regular leaves or, you know, any kind of herbs. You actually need a tea that has the tannins and the, the nitrogen in it to make sure it actually works. So once these yeast and bacteria are feeding on the sugar and then feeding on the alcohol, they actually kind of combine together and start forming a structure. And that's what people see. And, you know, that's what's called the SCOBY, which a lot of people think look like a mushroom, but it's actually not a mushroom at all. It's just a colony or, you know, community of the bacteria in yeast. But it sure does look like a mushroom. It's pretty interesting when you have it sitting on the counter and somebody comes over and it looks like some kind of alien jar full of stuff there. But once you have them try it, you know, they're either going to love it or they're probably going to hate it. So it's interesting nonetheless. And still just speaking kind of generally, kombucha can come in either plain or in just a variety of flavors that are actually added in the second fermentation. I'll go over that later. And when you're making it at home, it can vary quite a bit in strength in terms of how long it's fermented. It can be slightly sweet with less vinegar. It could be less sweet, but more strong vinegar. And the longer you ferment it, also the more alcohol it actually contains. So yes, this does contain a little bit of alcohol, which is why a lot of people ferment it maybe for a short amount of time, so like seven days versus, you know, a little bit longer. So that was just, you know, a brief overview of kombucha and, you know, a little bit about it. But anyway, the the first time I actually tried kombucha with my wife, uh, it was my birthday and I thought like, you know, oh, where could I go that would be interesting? Normally we kind of stick along the, the East Coast. And we haven't really been too far out west. I've been wanting to go to California, do some hiking out there. But I thought maybe we would try Texas just to see what Texas was like. So we picked Austin because we heard, you know, there's a lot of good food there. And and it's still Texas, even though it's supposed to be more the weird part of Texas, which we thought was very pretty. Love the people there. Everybody was awesome. And of course, you know, we also love the food too. But anyway, we're in Austin, Texas. And just getting more into fermentation. And I was thinking more about like kombucha, wanting to know what it tasted like. So we went to a, a local juice place that was kind of a chain called Juice Land. And they were everywhere. I mean, if you want a place that has more juice bars, I'm guessing probably California, but Austin, it had juice bars. It seemed like in every corner. And anyways, they also had some local kombucha breweries. And at these juice bars, they also sold what was the, the local brewery's kombucha brand, which the, I think the first one I tried was Cosmic Kombucha. And then following that up with Buddha's Brew. And both of these had so many different flavors. And I, I've, I can't remember how many we tried, but we must have had at least, I don't know, six different bottles of kombucha during our trip, maybe even more. And there was, you know, so many different flavors. First, I had to try, you know, the regular one, see what it tasted like, which is really interesting. And then went on to ginger. And then I think there was grape and all the different kinds of berries. But yeah, it had a, a really interesting flavor that was very addicting. And it was hard, you know, everywhere we went not to have a, a bottle of kombucha with us. And I'm sure part of the addicting quality of it is probably the caffeine because, you know, it is a, a fermented sweet tea. You know, it is tea. It is caffeinated. So in any case, you know, you should definitely get out and at least try like a bottle of kombucha before you actually try to make it. Um, locally here, we have Publixes. I don't know if you have any Publixes in, in your area, but some of the new Publixes, they actually have um, GT's brand, which is probably one of the most popular brands out there. And I think at least in uh, our Publix, I think they have maybe like six different flavors, which is quite a quite a big variety. But yeah, definitely get out and try a bottle. 
And there's a lot of other brands out there too, like Synergy and then some more local breweries. If you can find like a local brewery, you know, I always recommend to, to try those first just to, to get like the local flavor. And there's even some places that actually have kombucha on tap. Like there's a, a new Whole Foods being built somewhere. I forget where it was, but they actually had like a, a whole kombucha, you know, where they had several different varieties of, of kombucha on tap, which was kind of cool. So in any case, you know, just try it and see if you like it. So now that I've talked a little bit about it, you know, maybe piqued your interest. How exactly do you make kombucha? So I'll go over like a general overview of all the steps that you would take. And this is actually to make a a one gallon size, like a one gallon batch of kombucha. So first what you would do, you actually get a starter, which is the kombucha scoby. And I'll go over later where to get one and how to even like grow one yourself in a bit. But for a one gallon batch, the ingredient ratios are as follows. You would need two tablespoons of loose leaf tea, which if instead, you know, you want to use small tea bags, it's probably more like eight tea bags. I think there's maybe about two teaspoons of tea in a tea bag. So in general, two tablespoons of loose leaf tea, you'll use one cup of sugar three and a half quarts of non-chlorinated water, and then all you need is two cups of starter tea, which is just regular flavored kombucha, you know, that you can buy at the store or you have leftover or you get from someone else. But if you don't have any starter tea and you have a SCOBY, you can actually use distilled white vinegar. Really, the only purpose of the starter tea is just to drop the acid level of the tea so then, you know, the SCOBY can actually handle the environment. It likes a more acid environment. And normally, you know, when you're making these batches, you'll have starter tea left over from your previous batch. So it's just getting started the first time that's kind of a, an issue, but you can just buy a bottle of uh, kombucha and that'll satisfy that or even use distilled white vinegar. But I just like to start with an actual bottle of, of starter tea because then, you know, you can actually taste it. And then if you like it, then you can just take that tea and then help to make the next batch. All right. So now that you have all the ingredients assembled, you would bring a pot of your filtered water to a boil and then you add your tea leaves or tea bags, or, you know, if you put it in a, a tea ball or, or bag or whatever, you stir it up and then let it sit because it, it needs to steep. You know, when you're brewing tea, you let it steep for a while and you can let it steep for however long. But really what I do is I'll actually let it steep and then let it sit for maybe like two or three hours. So that gives it a chance to actually cool down. But some people actually don't like the bitterness. When you let tea steep too long, I guess kind of like when you let coffee brew a little too long, you get a little more of the tannins in there and it gets very bitter. You could, if you really wanted to, actually steep the tea for however long that you like it. So like 10, 20, 30 minutes or so. And then you can actually, you know, sieve out your tea and then let it sit for however many hours or even overnight. And then it'll finally cool down to room temperature, which is what you want. You want your tea absolutely cool as possible so it doesn't kill the starter that you're about to put in. But say you're in a rush, though, and, you know, you want this to cool even faster. You know, say you're going to make some kombucha in like a few hours or something. What you could, could actually do is fill your sink with cool water. And then once your tea is actually done steeping, you know, to the point that you actually like it, and it's like a, you know, a nice strong tea, put the pot into the cool water and then let it sit for maybe 10 minutes or so. And then when you feel the water in the sink, it'll actually be fairly hot. And that'll drop the temperature of the pot fairly quickly. And then, you know, you would take your pot out, but then you still need to let it sit for a while to actually cool down completely. You can even repeat that a few times, and then it'll drop the temperature even more. But in any case, make sure to, to feel the temperature of the tea to make sure it's completely cooled. 
So now you have a, a finished tea. So now what you want to do is you remove your tea bags or, you know, if you use loose leaf like I do, run your tea through a fine sieve to strain out all those tea leaves. And what I pour the tea into is a large one gallon glass container or even like, you know, a half gallon or say if you're going to make a ton of it, get a two gallon. So once you have your tea in the glass container, add your starter tea or even, you know, distilled vinegar and that's to drop the acid level and you would stir it up. And now you can actually put your SCOBY into the jar in the tea. So the next step, when you're actually putting the SCOBY in, when you're handling your SCOBY, always make sure to wash your hands. And I always wash and scrub my hands with, you know, pretty warm water to make sure my hands are clean when I'm going to actually touch the colony. I don't want to introduce anything that might disrupt it or, or harm it. So once you have your SCOBY in the tea... Cover the top of the jar with a cloth, and I like to use either like a string or a rubber band to actually keep a tight fit on it so, you know, no bugs get in. But it's still open to the air because kombucha is a aerobic kind of a fermentation. So you don't want to actually close this up like you would do with other fermentations. So now that you've actually gotten through all those steps, the only thing you have to do now is just wait. So in the next few days, you know, you won't really see much happening. And after about maybe like a week or a couple of weeks, you'll start to see the surface of the liquid get a little bit of a cloudy film on it and like on the top of it. And that's actually the new SCOBY forming. So after about seven days, what I'll do is I'll poke a straw down into the side and bring some of the tea up to taste, you know, just to see how it's coming along. And some people like it after seven days, some people like it after 10 days or even 14 days, but you'll really have to figure out what you actually like. So in any case, once you find it to your liking, you know, it's it's that tartness that you like or it's, you know, sweetness that you like. You can drink it as it is, or you can put it through a second fermentation, which is where you add your your flavorings or carbonate it. And say, you know, you're going to put it through a second fermentation. If you want it to taste kind of like how it does now, maybe you could even stop it like a couple days before because you're going to put it through another couple day fermentation. So you'll have to figure out which timeline is best for you. So in any case, the second fermentation goes as follows. So you would actually get a plate and pour a little bit of kombucha on the plate, which is what I do. Pour a little bit of kombucha and kind of make a, a little bit of a, a base for the scoby to rest on. And then you'll reach your hands into the jar, your clean hands, obviously, or even use a, a clean utensil to get the scoby out and then put it on the plate to save it for later. Then what you would do is you would actually funnel your kombucha into flip-top bottles to carbonate it. And you can either leave them regular, you know, like regular flavor kombucha, or if you want to flavor it, you can add things like fruit, fruit juice, and other flavorings like ginger, herbs, like mint. But in any case, add your flavoring or don't add your flavoring. Close the top and let it ferment for maybe two days or so. The one caution I always have on this, though, when you're actually carbonating something, you know, building up pressure, I always try to keep at least one of the bottles, make sure it's plastic so you can squeeze it and, you know, tell how far along your bottle is actually carbonated. You definitely don't want a glass bottle exploding and, you know, hurting anyone. And also don't forget, when you store it in the fridge, the fermentation does continue, but it's at a much slower rate. So you just have to keep that in mind. If you have something like very carbonated, you put it in the fridge, forget about it for like a year or something, it still actually could explode. The fermentation is still going, but, you know, you just have to keep that in mind. In any case, you know, once that part's done, you've now actually made homemade kombucha. Uh, you know, you can flavor it any way you like it, and you've also saved a ton of money in the process. And now that I've actually gone through, you know, the regular way that people know to make kombucha, I wanted to tell you there's also an alternative way that people like even more than this process. 
And that's called the continuous brew method, where you actually have a glass jar, rather than just having a full glass jar that you'll have to dump out every time, you actually have a glass jar that has a spigot on it. So it's almost like having your own kombucha tap. So this method is basically the same exact way, except when you drain out your kombucha, you'll be draining it from the spigot. And you'll leave a couple of cups or so of, you know, your starter tea that's in there. You leave the kombucha scoby in there rather than taking it out. And really, you just pour freshly strained and cold sweet tea over what's already in the jar. So it's much less messy and you can continually drink the kombucha right from the tap. So as it's brewing, you know, you can pour yourself a glass. And I think that's probably a little bit better of a way. And it just keeps you drinking it all the time. So in any case, that's another method to keep in mind. And when you're buying your equipment for this, you have to keep that in mind whether, you know, do you want to do the continuous brew method? You'll need a different jar with a spigot on it. Or do you just want to do the regular method where you just have the glass jar and you keep dumping it back and forth? Okay, so that's the, the basic overview of how to actually make it. Now, where do you get a kombucha scoby and can I even make one? So what I actually did is I had a, a coworker that worked over in Arizona and she made kombucha quite a bit, her and her husband did. And one day, you know, she kind of told me about it, said she was making kombucha and asked me if I wanted a scoby. So I said, sure. So anyway, she, what she did is she packaged it up in a, a, a double Ziploc bag and then also gave me a bottle of the starter tea to go along with it. That's actually how I got my scoby. But you can also go out online, search um, kombucha scobies, and you can buy them from different places that actually sell different cultures. And there's also several different other like Facebook groups that share cultures. If you do a search, you know, maybe even Craigslist. But you can find a kombucha scoby in several different places, probably because of the nature of making kombucha. When you make kombucha, you're going to have several scobies that form, you know, maybe over like a month or so, you'll get a, a brand new scoby. And when you have so many scobies, you know, you want to spread this, you want to give it away. So there shouldn't really be a problem on getting a scoby. But say, you know, you're farther out there, you can't find a kombucha scoby. Maybe if you get a, a bottle of kombucha, like raw kombucha, you can actually grow it yourself. And of course, you know, there's caveats on this because now some of the more commercial manufacturers, they, they do something to the kombucha to where the, the scobies won't grow, but you can actually try it nonetheless. Maybe try like a, a more local brewery. And really what you would do is you would take a bottle of kombucha, pour it into a jar and just leave it on the counter, you know, leave it on the counter for like a week, two weeks, maybe a month. And by then, if it really is alive, it's, if it's like a, a viable culture, you'll start to see that film forming on the top, and that's actually your SCOBY. So maybe, you know, the first batch that you make, if you're trying to grow a SCOBY, you don't necessarily want to make, like, the kombucha tea and drink it because you're trying to form a, a SCOBY here that you can actually keep for a long time. So just leave it on the counter, let it thicken up a little bit, and then once you actually have a little bit of a solid mass, you know, maybe a couple millimeters or fourth an inch or really just a solid mass, you basically have your kombucha scoby and you can start a regular batch from that. And of course, you know, while you're letting this sit on the counter, make sure to cover it up so no bugs get into it. But so now you have like a little bit of a scoby and then you have your starter tea. You can take that bottle that you probably paid, you know, 350 or so for and make a whole gallon for hardly anything. So you really just have to experiment with different brands and see if you can grow a scoby from different brands. And mostly the reason why some brands, you know, the, the scoby won't grow anymore, they try to keep kind of quality control. And what happened like a few years back, there was a big panic in the kombucha industry because 
the, all these kombucheries came out. They were making kombucha, selling it commercially, and they were only supposed to have, you know, like a half a percent of alcohol or so. And some kombucha was sitting a little bit too long. Maybe it had like two, three percent alcohol. So it was actually over the legal limit. And then they had to pull it from the shelves. So I think probably what they did is who knows? They might have irradiated it or put some kind of chemicals in it. I don't know. In any case, I tried a bottle of GTs to grow some and I left it for, I think, one or two months and it grew absolutely nothing. So obviously they did something to it. So if you want to grow something, just try to find a different brand or maybe even like a, a friend's batch if you're going to grow it yourself. If you want the easiest possible way though, just, you know, buy a SCOBY and there's almost no problem there making a batch of kombucha from a, an actual SCOBY. So in any case, another question would be, you know, how long do you let it brew? And for me, I really like about 14, 15 days because I like a little bit more of the vinegary flavor. I think a lot of people actually like more like seven days or 10 days. Once you get past 14, 15 days, it really starts to turn into vinegar. And I actually had one sitting on the counter. I used to make them in two gallon batches, which was massive. I almost couldn't drink that much. Got kind of tired of it and then let it sit for a while. I think I let it sit for like a couple months or two three, maybe it was three or four months. Anyways, it was sitting there and it started kind of dehydrating and dehydrating and it got very, very, very strong with vinegar. So in any case, you know, if you like a little bit more sweet, maybe seven days, if you like, you know, stronger vinegar, maybe even want to make a little alcohol, a tiny bit with it, you know, 14, 15 days, something like that. I guess you'll just have to experiment with what you like. And then don't forget, you know, your second fermentation where you add the flavors and get it kind of fizzy. And speaking of, you know, the second fermentation, what are some of the good kombucha flavors you can make? You know, like I said before, you can add fruit juices, fruit, herbs, you know, other ingredients. But if you're going to add fruit juice, it's probably a good ratio, maybe 80% kombucha and 20% juice. And, you know, the juices, you can add all kinds of juices to make it taste really however you like it. And if you want some inspiration, you know, just look up or go to the store and find all the different flavors that, uh, you know, they're selling that are popular. You know, you can make apple, you can make cranberry, orange, grapefruit, uh, use grape juice. If you use fresh fruit, you know, in your second fermentation, you want to pop something into the jar, either pour the fruit juice or you can use um, fresh fruit, which would be like strawberries, mango, yeah, maybe watermelon or blueberries or grapes. You know, there's all kinds of fruits out there. You can make it taste however you want it to. Uh, different herbs you can add, which I like would be my, my favorite herb to add probably would be mint. And I've even tried rosemary, which it added just a hint of a flavor. Maybe if you want more Christmas flavors, you could probably even try like cinnamon or allspice or something like that. Other ingredients, like probably my favorite one of all time is definitely ginger. And that's probably, you know, the most common flavor you'll find. Just chop up a whole bunch of fresh ginger root and then drop the ginger root into the second fermentation. And that'll get the ginger flavor all throughout it. But there's so many other ingredients, you know, even Thanksgiving, I think I had mentioned like a, a cranberry one, you know, putting actual cranberries in the, the kombucha. But there's so many different flavors. You'll just have to come up with some creative ideas, do a Google search. There's tons of them out there. So getting off, you know, some of the flavors, what are some of like the health benefits of kombucha? And, you know, if you go do a search on health benefits of kombucha, you'll probably find a lot of people say there's tons of probiotics, you know, kind of like what you find in water kefir or yogurt or, or you know, those types of things. But there's actually probably not as many probiotics as you would think of. In terms of health benefits from what I would think, 
I think, you know, the health benefits, say you drink a lot of soda or, you know, a lot of something else, you know, that you want to get off of, it almost feels like it's a, a gateway out of something. So if you have somebody that drinks a lot of soda and they still want that fizziness and maybe a little bit of sugar or, you know, a little bit of tanginess, you can switch them off of soda onto this. And it does have less sugar because during the fermentation, you know, the, the different bacteria and yeast, they actually eat up the sugar. So there's less sugar than when you start out, you know, depending on how long you ferment it. But there actually are beneficial acids in the, the kombucha that are supposed to be good for you. So that's one thing. Uh, another, I would say benefit is it tastes great. You know, it, it enhances your mood probably another mood enhancer and maybe why it's a little more addicting is the caffeine. The boost of caffeine gives you a little bit of energy, whether that's good or not in your book in terms of caffeine. But in terms of like health benefits, I don't necessarily think of it as like a really healthy thing, you know, you should be drinking all the time. I just think it's it's another pleasure that, you know, you can add to your diet if you want to. It's just another addition. Another question is, is there any alcohol in kombucha and how much? So normally when you buy a bottle of kombucha, the legal limit, you know, for non-alcoholic drinks is supposed to have uh, less than half a percent. So it should be less than 0.5%. But if you're brewing it at home and, you know, you're leaving it for a long time, it could even get up into maybe the 2.5% range. I've read where if you want to get it farther than that, like say 3% or more, you have to actually add grains and then you're almost turning it into like a beer. So probably up to like 2.5% is what I would think of as like a, a pretty alcoholic homebrew kombucha. So now that you're actually making the kombucha, you know, what are you going to do with all of these mothers, you know, all these scobies that are multiplying? And a few ideas really is just, you know, the best thing is just give them away. If you can get friends making kombucha, if you ever have a problem with yours, you know, you always have a backup in your friends. You can also create a, a SCOBY hotel, which is, say you take a, a, a large mason jar, maybe either uh, one liter or like a half gallon. You would actually put all of your SCOBYs into that one mason jar and then kind of fill it up with kombucha tea and then just leave it in the fridge. And those should actually slow down and that will give you probably a pretty good backup for that. Some other ideas, believe it or not, if you Google, you can actually make candy with the kombucha scobies. I know it sounds kind of crazy to actually eat the mushroom thing, but I've seen quite a few pictures of making candy with scobies, and it looks interesting. I would try it. Another thing would be um, composting it, so you can actually just stick it right back into, you know, stick it right back into the earth. Your plants will eat whatever comes out of it. You know, that'll turn it right back into soil again. Probably another thing you could do would be chicken feed. You can feed it to your chickens. It'll maybe give them a little bit of a a boost. And finally, the last thing, I guess, before I get into some of the troubleshooting things, what if you don't feel like making any more kombucha? You know, what do you do then? Can you just leave it on the counter? How do you slow the scobies down? So pretty much like what I said before, you would make a scoby hotel or... If you just have one scoby, you would take your scoby, put it into a jar, fill it up with kombucha. Really, you just want the acid environment kept. And when you move that into the fridge, it's just going to slow down and basically stop. And, you know, maybe occasionally take it out, give it a little bit of fresh tea, but it should stay in there for quite a long time. I mean, I, I had mine on the counter for, you know, like I said before, I think it might have been like four months and I stopped it and try to make a new batch and it worked out just fine. So 
Yeah, that's that's definitely one thing you could do. So now actually getting into the troubleshooting, here's a a few different questions I've I've seen that are are really popular. What if my kombucha scoby actually gets mold? Then what do I do? So really the first thought on that, if you actually have mold on top, you have to make sure it is mold. I mean, you know, if you have that little bit of a cloudy film, that's a new scoby forming and you know, you wouldn't want to get rid of the scoby that's actually forming because, you know, you want to make some more kombucha. But say if you have more of like darker spots, like turns out to be black, then you probably just want to throw the whole batch out and just start over. And that's when, you know, a scoby hotel would actually come in handy because then you would actually have backup scobies in the fridge. So in case anything does happen, then, you know, you could just pop those back into a fresh jar and then continue on. But really, I would say, you know, offhand, if you get any kind of like dark mold, I would probably throw the whole whole batch out. And I'm, I'm probably going to be writing a, a a post on this later on. But I actually did have one SCOBY get mold and I did save it. So now it's, it's normally not typical. You know, what happened to mine? It got mold on top and there were several different scobies underneath and what i did is i peeled a couple layers off of the top and then threw that away and i couldn't see anything underneath and then i kind of chopped that up and made that into a bunch of mini scobies and it's actually been completely fine so you might see questions like can i take vinegar and clean it off i definitely wouldn't suggest that if you have mold on top Whatever is on top, I would just throw that away. And, you know, normally you would just throw the whole batch out. But I actually have saved one before that got mold, and it's been fine so far. So that's, you know, just my experience with it. Another question is, you know, what kind of teas can I use for kombucha? Can I use green tea? And really, you can use any kind of a, a black tea. And even green tea would work. I think the the important part is it's definitely a tea. It's not like an herbal tea. But you'll just have to kind of experiment with that too. If you use green teas, sometimes they can affect, you know, the scobies. Maybe it can't handle the little bit weaker of the the tea, but might as well try it. You know, the green tea should actually work and it should give you a little bit of a a lighter brew. And another thing I wanted to mention though with the, the black tea is make sure it's actually a pure black tea and not like Earl Grey where there's different oils. Like I think Earl Grey has oil of bergamot added to it. So you just want a plain tea that has no flavorings, no oils added to it, just tea. What kind of vessels should I use, you know, when I'm brewing kombucha? And I highly suggest using just glass only. You know, you can actually brew kombucha in plastic, but really since it's such a, an acidic environment, I think the plastic actually does break down a little bit and, you know, you don't want any kind of chemicals in there. So I would avoid plastic at all costs. When it comes to like metal containers, just so say if you just happen to have some kind of a metal container, again, you know, it'll probably work. I think the only metal container that you should ever use when brewing any kind of acidic type of a, a thing like kombucha is, the only one you should ever use is just stainless steel because stainless steel is less reactive. And I know there's some purists out there that they won't even use stainless steel, but all of the commercial breweries actually use stainless steel, you know, even to brew beer, to brew kombucha. So stainless steel is fine. And, you know, even with the utensils, I would say, you know, some people say don't put any kind of metal utensils, don't ever let it touch it. But, you know, I've done that. It's totally fine. Just make sure you're using stainless steel if you're using any kind of steel. 
The next one is, can I use any different kinds of sugar to make kombucha, or can I even use honey? So you can use different kinds of sugar, like the less refined turbinado sugar, and they will work, but you probably want to use you know, more of an organic sugar, so you don't have to worry about the herbicides and pesticides. And you know, really, the kombucha, all it wants is some kind of sugar that it can eat. So the more refined ones, they actually are more digestible to the SCOBY. So in terms of honey, though... You can try using honey and it should work, but it might not also. It might take longer. And since honey is so stable and already comes in its own, you know, antibacterial environment, it might even have problems. But if you really want to use honey and you want something interesting, I'd suggest you looking into making something that's called June. And it's actually a, a June kombucha, J-U-N. So a June kombucha tea, which is a more specific SCOBY that it's actually used to make a, a lighter version of kombucha using green tea and honey. And the flavor is very light. It's very amazing. It's probably, you know, maybe in terms of like mead or, or so. You know, mead is like a honey wine. You have to keep in mind, though, that there's two scobies. So if you're making regular kombucha and making June tea, there are actually two different scobies. So make sure not to mix them up. Another question is, if I want less sugar, should I just start with less sugar? So the answer to that one is no, make sure to start with the regular, you know, recommended amount of sugar. I think these ratios have been around for quite a long time. And if you start with less sugar, the SCOBY might not get going as much as it could have. And if you want less sugar, though, you just have to ferment it longer. And I know it's going to be a little more tangy, but... If you want the, the healthiest possible SCOBY, just use the, the recommended amounts. And then you can always, you know, I guess experiment too. You know, if you can use less at first, just try to see how that works out. It might not work out. It might work out. It really, all this is is a bunch of experimentation. So you can try it. The recommendation, though, is just to use the, the regular ratios that actually work. Another question is, does light affect the brewing process? And can I leave it on the counter? Does it have to be in darkness? And what I do is I leave mine on the counter and I just put a towel over it. And mostly the towel is just to keep the bugs out, but it just happens that I'm using a longer towel and it drapes over the sides. But the front is still exposed, so I get to see that. You don't actually have to put it into your cupboard, you know, and close the door. The one thing, though, is make sure not to leave it like in a window where it has direct sunlight. Any kind of direct sunlight over a long period of time can kind of mess with it. You know, you can actually sterilize water outside if you leave it long enough in the sun in a, in a jar. So make sure it's in indirect light. Another big question is, say if you have a whole bunch of different ferments going. So say you have like, you know, your lacto-fermented pickles and ginger ale and then you have kombucha. Do you have to keep them like really far apart, you know, so they don't cross-contaminate everything? And I've seen different people that have very, very small kitchens and they have everything going at the same time and they never have a problem. So I don't think it's a problem myself. I have things fermenting, you know, right next to each other and I don't think it's that big of a deal. I haven't really had much problems with almost anything. So I, for me, it's not a problem. For you, you know, if you want to feel more comfortable, you can keep it like a few feet away from each other. But really, I don't think it's that much of a problem. Another question is, what are those stringy things in the kombucha? You know, is that normal? What is that? You might have a, a kombucha scoby on top or on bottom, and you start seeing these strings coming down from the top that go on to the bottom. Those are just the, the filaments that are just normal in the kombucha process. You don't have to worry about it. 
if when you go to filter your kombucha into a, a bottle, sometimes the strings go into the bottle. You can actually eat them, you know, drink them, whatever. It's not a problem. It's a little bit creepy to drink them, but, you know, it's it's just part of the, the SCOBY. It's not a big deal. Another really big question is, does it matter if the kombucha SCOBY floats on top in the middle or, you know, what if it sinks to the bottom? Does that mean it's dead? And it really doesn't matter where your kombucha SCOBY is. A lot of times you'll see it floating on top. After so many days or so, it might even kind of start going down toward the bottom. If you bump the jar, it might even go all the way to the bottom of the jar. And then, you know, maybe even do like a sideways thing, you know, floating and partially submerged. It doesn't really matter where it is. That whole mass is it's eating the, the tea no matter where it is. So it doesn't really matter. So that's basically like a wrap up of like all the troubleshooting questions that I could think up and, you know, throw into the show. I hope you guys enjoyed me going through the whole process of making kombucha, you know, what it is, what it tastes like, all the different things that you can put into it, and even some of the troubleshooting. Everything I talked about on today's show will be in the show notes, and I invite everyone to come out to fermentationpodcast.com, leave some comments, you know, tell me what you think about the whole kombucha thing. Have you tried it? Have you made it before? Do you have any questions? And really, I just hope this has been informative and gets you guys out there and actually making kombucha. So this has been Paul Bates from the Fermentation Podcast, encouraging you to put fermentation into practice, ferment responsibly, and get out there and create some culture. Culture.